0: Word of the Lord from 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we again may come to you and ask for you to give life and light to your word. you have promised to use it for your purposes. Isaiah 55, and we know your purposes are better than ours. Use your word now, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. What uh, What's the biggest danger facing this church? I mean, don't answer out loud, think in your head. <laughs> ah, boy, that was an awkward sermon, wasn't it? Let's go home now. I don't even think about those stop if we if you were to have a cup of coffee with me and I sitting there with you drinking my tea uh, and I were to ask you what do you think the biggest danger is for this church yeah I bet you if we had you know a list of things we could probably compile a list of things that we'd be thoughtful about as a congregation things that we'd be concerned about things that would be uh, certainly kind of dangerous or problematic I suspect one of those things would be a thing that's very real and very dangerous. It was from the very beginning of the early church, that of a church split. You always have that as a kind of a looming danger anywhere, always. Somebody gets upset about something, get their feelings hurt. Either apologies are slow to be extended or forgiveness is slow to be extended and things go south. That's very easy. In fact, actually, that's uh, how the whole conversation about deacon starts. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And it's shocking. It's actually staggering. And at the end of Acts chapter 5, the church is thriving and doing wonderfully. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the church is thriving and doing wonderfully. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, part B, the church is on the brink of collapse. Like, wow, that was quick. It was staggering how easy that would happen. A second thing that if you were in the early church that they would have had to answer. In fact, many of these New Testament books address either directly or indirectly is that a false teaching. And there was one primary false teaching that they were wrestling with. Very popular in the day was that of Gnosticism. It's Gnosticism, but it sounds a bit silly when you say it that way. Gnosis, it's from knowledge, and it's built on Greek philosophy and Gnosticism. Gnosticism, Gnosticism, was a merger, attempted merger, of Christianity and Greek philosophy. And at its core, Gnosticism had kind of one primary idea, which was the spirit is good and the body is bad. And you could see how a Christian could easily take that and attempt to make it their own. I mean, we've been taught that the flesh is bad. We've never been taught the body is bad, but we've been taught that the flesh is bad, and it would be easy to grow confused. And in fact, some in the early church did, and they they wrestled tremendously with this idea, understanding who are we as people and how do we operate together. Am I one of those things that's spirit good and body bad or is my body part of the good thing too? And they wrestled with that and it was a struggle. And the answer in case you don't know is your body is good. In fact, actually it'll live forever and you're going to get it back even after it dies. It'll be raised and you'll get it back. It's a good thing. But it's interesting how that has even worked its way backwards into how we think about the church as a whole. There is a danger that we approach the church through the lens of Gnosticism to say spiritual is good, physical is bad. And you can, again, already see where I'm headed in terms of the creation of the diaconate. The establishment of deacons in Acts chapter 6, the church is wrestling through who are we going to be, what are we going to be. They have this uh, bit of a dust up over the Hellenist widows and the elders respond, it's not good for us to be taken away from word and prayer. Therefore, let's create an office designed for the physicality of the church. Deacons are designed for the physicality of the church, for the, the physical element, for the body aspect of the church. And that oftentimes translates to building and grounds and money and widows and food and helps and all of those kind of things. But it's designed to be the hands of the church. I said in Sunday school, in many ways, you can think of the elders as the head and heart, in a sense, the mind and heart, the theology, the prayer, the preaching, but the deacons are in every way, in many ways, the hands of the church. And we've been walking through how the church is designed to operate. That first sermon in Acts chapter 6, it laid out in essence a philosophy of ministry. What is the primary thing the church is supposed to be doing? Word, sacrament, prayer. When those things get decreased, everything else is wrong. If you have to ask what is the mission of the church, it's word, sacrament, prayer. That's what the church is supposed to be. And so as uh, the problem arises over the widows, the, the elders go, okay, well, let's make deacons so that we're not taken away from word, sacrament, and prayer. Those are the things we must be doing. But we need deacons so that we can continue to do word, sacrament, and prayer. And then last week we looked at the elders and kind of saw a larger over, kind of f- overview. The framework for elders was that a spiritual kingdom gets spiritual officers. And that makes sense. If they're men to be occupied with word, sacrament, and prayer, if that's what their life is to be devoted to, you would want spiritual men. Spiritual men for a spiritual word. Spiritual men for a spiritual prayer. Spiritual men for a spiritual sacrament. You, it makes sense. The challenge then becomes, what do we do with deacons? Deacons are, as explicitly said, they're the hands of the church. That's their mission. They're the ones that are uh, designed, their office is, to help with all of the physicality. So for a physical office, do you get physical officers? It makes sense, wouldn't it? Well, you already know the answer. You've been hearing me beat this drum for weeks now. No, of course not. Both offices are spiritual offices, and extremely so. Deacons are to be holy, as God is holy. Now, they actually get to display it in a way that elders, I kind of don't in the qualifications. It's interesting, so much of the elders' qualifications are geared specifically toward the man, and we talked about toward that man in three separate spheres. That man inside his own brain, own heart, that man inside kind of his own family, church, sphere of influence, and then that man even in the larger world. Deacons aren't described so tidily. I suspect it's because their ministry is not tidy. It's messy and contagious and influential and, and spreads throughout kind of all aspects of the church. And it's interesting the way that Paul describes their godliness is the same way. You think about it this way. If you've ever had to change like the toner cartridge on a copier or a printer, yeah, that's the correct response if you've ever had to do that. Oh. Where are you going to find ink over the next you know, four or five days or weeks? The correct answer is everywhere, because that, the copier toner, it's like powdery ink. And so you get it on your hands, and then you sneeze, and you blow ink everywhere. And you're like, how did I get it there? I haven't been home yet, but it's in my closet. How did I? It's, it just constantly spreads. Diaconal ministry is described the same way. Their godliness is to be contagious, and their ministry is described the same way. So let's look at it. We're going to go piece at a time here. Deacons, likewise, here's the title must be dignified. Now it's interesting, your elders had their title, above reproach. If you think of what an elder is supposed to be, it is synonymous with above reproach. That's what they're supposed to be. Deacons, interestingly, same concept, but different example, are to be dignified. Worthy of respect. Worthy of respect. And then it goes to explain exactly how that worthiness of respect is going to look. Not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And I follow Calvin in here. I think the Lord through Paul is explicitly giving us an idea of what diaconal ministry is going to look like. By the specific qualifications that are given The deacons are, like I said, the hands of the church. They're the ones that work through the physicality of the church. And so their ministry looks very different than the elders does. And it looks like it gets involved in people's lives through their homes, through their money, through this church, through our money, through the various aspects of the physical plant. And you can see how some of these features would be unbelievably important for your deacons. Not double-tongued. They don't speak out of both sides of their mouth is the way we say that today. Their speech is one that it's trustworthy. You don't expect to get a different answer if you ask them in private than in public. You don't expect to have ask the next week and get different answers. They're trustworthy in how they use their words. They're trustworthy if they do drink alcohol in any fashion. It's not going to dominate them either through drunkenness or just through habitual use that is uncontrolled. And they're not going to have a problem with money. And that's going to make a big, big deal because what is a large part of their ministry connected to? Money. I mean, think about the contrast with Judas Iscariot, how part of his fall is connected to he was the treasurer of the church. He was the treasurer of the apostles and he he stole from the treasury bag. These men are going to be the counterpoint to that. They're going to be godly men, righteous men who are not affected with these things. They're ready to be able to lead with how they speak, ready to lead with how they live, ready to lead with their, excuse me, relationship with money. In fact, actually, verse 9, they're going to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That's a little bit harder to define, isn't it? Mystery of the faith is the kind of language that Paul uses to describe the heart of Christianity. It's another way of saying the gospel and the consequences of the gospel. And he says, what are the deacons going to be like? The deacons are going to be men who understand the deep truth of the faith and can hold it with a clear conscience. Meaning they understand what Christianity is and they are single minded in that understanding. These are not going to be men who are uh, yes and no, back and forth, tossed about on every wind or wave of doctrine. These are not to be men who don't understand the reality of the faith. I will say, uh, I think many of us know of churches uh, that treat their deacons like elders junior. Right? You, you say, your really godly men go on the session... And either you're halfway godly men or you, we hope they're godly men, will go on the diaconate. And you say, well, deacons are, are elders junior, they're elders in training. And if you've been a deacon for enough years, and maybe if you get godly enough, then we'll promote you to elder. That's an abomination. That's terrible. That's awful. I mean, that's just a wretched description of what elders are and deacons are. Because the gift sets are completely different. They're different tasks, they're different duties, they're different jobs. And interestingly, what are these men supposed to be like? They're supposed to have deep and rich spirituality. I mean, I've heard it said, well, it's okay, we can nominate him, he's just a deacon. I'm sorry, he must be able to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. He's supposed to be a mature man. In fact, actually, we get great illustration of this with uh, in Acts chapter six. They pick the men. Who do they pick? Stephen. The next section we see him preaching and then dying. And Philip. After the, you know, the persecution gets particularly bad, Philip's the only one out actively evangelizing, like he's evangelizing like he's supposed to do. And that's why the Lord kind of sends him all over the world in order to fulfill his calling. Righteous, godly men, strong and mature and steady. In fact, actually, and again, this is similar to the elders here. Uh, let them be tested first, and that doesn't mean let give them an examination. I mean, we do that, but that's not what this means. It means that they are to not be new Christians. They're supposed to have been a Christian for a long time. Why? So that you know the quality of their character, the quality of their faith, the quality of their person. And after they've been examined and you can see that they're righteous and godly men, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. It's staggering. Is that a lesser job description? Is that a, a lesser list of qualifications? Well, I mean, in its sense, it doesn't have the apt to teach clause, but it's still righteous upon righteous. And you'd say, man, that, that's that's rough, Paul. I mean, that, that's a hard list. This is a, a spectacular type of godliness that is being called, and then now in verse eleven, he complicates it by showing how that spreads throughout the church. You see, their ministry is supposed to be such that it is, like I said, contagious. It gets involved in people's lives and uh, deals with them at family in chaos sort of levels in that uh, critical situation. So what does he go to? Verse 11, their wives, wait, what? You, you, mean, you mean deacons have job description qualifications for their wives if they're married? Yes, absolutely. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. The wives have to fit this. And again, if you think about it, it makes sense. Let's use a situation. A husband and wife have a young family. They have a number of children. Family's going well, life is going well, everything is good. Husband has a medical emergency. And for some weird reason, his disability insurance won't cover it. Oh no. He needs long-term and greater care than what the wife can provide. How do we get money? How do we survive? How do we raise the children? How do we do all of the things that need to do? And of course, family will rally to help care for them but there the deacons step in. And it's interesting, who are the deacons going to be interacting with in that situation? They're going to be spending large number of hours with the wife and with the children in the home. They're going to help with the parenting. They're going to help with managing the finances. They're going to help with figuring out how to get the bills paid. They're going to help manage life for a family while husband is having medical emergency. And so it makes sense. You know what? Uh, Wisdom would say this is not a task for men alone, but their wives are going to be involved in this in some fashion. And if their wives are going to be involved in it, well, my goodness, they need to be qualified for that service. And you think about the qualifications that they make sense. Likewise, the wives must be dignified just like the deacons. Remember, that's a, a parallel from the beginning of the passage. Not slanderers. And this might be a challenge that is particular to ladies. I'm not to be a bit overly crass, but y'all tend to use a bit more words than men do. <laughs> not all of you, but you tend to. And so it would make sense that, okay, parallel qualification to the husband, they got to be dignified, and they got to figure out how to use their words well. If they can't use their words well you really got to question his ability to serve because she's going to be vital to that ministry as well. And not only does she need to be able to use her words well, she needs to be sober-minded and faithful in all things. And you remember, this is the challenge that Paul repeatedly gives to the women of the church, particularly to the older women in the church, to not get carried away with silliness. It's interesting that he gives that challenge, particularly to the older women. I I don't know why he does that, and I'm not going to certainly take a stab at it. I just know he does. Faithful in all things. The husband is the officer, the wife will absolutely be involved. Verse 12. As if it's not clear enough, deacons should be a husband of one wife if they're married. doesn't mean they have to be married. It means they have to be a one-woman kind of man, which in our current culture, my goodness, what a standard. I mean, we're obviously seeing that failing in the culture around us left and right. Be a one-woman kind of man, and he has to manage his children and his household well. Similar kind of qualifications, laboring for the body uh, and showcasing their ability to be a deacon and how they manage their home. Interestingly, are these qualifications any less spiritual than the elders? No. Are they any less holy than the elders? No. Do they get a pass? Well, he's just a baby. I mean, he he just hasn't grown enough yet. No, these are called to be righteous men. And verse 13 explains the consequence of their ministry. For those who serve well as deacons have two consequences. One is they will gain a good standing for themselves inside the church. As deacons serve faithfully, it's interesting, what's the consequence of their ministry? If they do their ministry correctly, people will respect them more. That's an interesting consequence, isn't it? If you do your job right, people will respect you. Oh yeah, and on top of that, (laughs) also they will gain great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. That as they perform their duties, as they serve as the hands of the church, it will only increase their faith and increase their confidence in Christ Jesus. Spiritual office for spiritual men with physical job description, with spiritual consequences. Hopefully you've picked up on a theme over the last three weeks. Again, if you haven't, you haven't really been listening too carefully. We want spiritual officers. When you start turning in your nominations, by the way, the forms are right there on the bar. Well, make sure you have plenty of access to them when you start placing them in the offertory or start handing them to me, which I would request that you do. I want to be able to look at the men that you nominate and say, oh, he's a spiritual man that makes me so happy. Oh, he's a spiritual man that makes me so happy. Oh, he's a spiritual man. It's also why the challenge that is held up for all of the men in the church is that we all together might be spiritual men together. You look at the American church and we can see time and time again a church that is led by her women. Not because our women are not gifted, they are. Not because they're not wonderful, they are. Not because they're not righteous or holy, they are. But because the men are lagging behind. And it's interesting, what are the qualifications given for elders and deacons? It's not men who are lagging behind, but men who lead the way. Examples of godliness. Examples of righteous and examples of holiness. It's interesting how uh, Paul then makes a transition into a a, a neat kind of end paragraph, so to speak. It's a a classic preacher technique. End with one challenge and then a poem. A little joke there, but he he ends with a transition. Verse 14, look, I'm writing these things to you because I hope to come visit you, but I realize I may not be able to. Travels hard. Paul's probably not entirely well. It's a complicated thing. I, I may not be able to make it to you. If I do, I may be delayed. But verse 15, why am I writing all of these things so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God? This is a description of what God's people are to be. And interestingly here, he expands it not just to men, but to men and women, boys and girls. So whether you're seven Or 87, the challenge is that we replicate the holiness of God as He works in His people, that we actually cultivate godliness. This would be a second kind of theme to note as God talks about His people in this section, is that our godliness is supposed to be real and victorious. When we deal with passages like this, Uh, they're called imperatives, they're commands, they're due elements. We don't just read them and say, oh, well, I'm a sinner, and throw our hands up. We don't just say, well, you know what, I'm saved by grace, and then kind of ignore it and move on. These are actually real commands that are attainable for all of us in Christ Jesus. To say that these are not attainable is actually not a a question or a doubt about you. If we are to say these are unattainable, it's actually a doubt about God and His power. Because He said, look, go be this in Christ Jesus. This is how all ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. And how is all of this possible? What's the linchpin? How are we able to do these things? How are we able to be holy? And he closes verse 16 with a poem. Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. This is the mystery. Neat little bit of poetry that Christ Jesus, He manifested in the flesh. He became human. He's vindicated by the Spirit. He's baptized with the Holy Spirit. He comes upon us and He's the anointed one, the Messiah. He's seen by the angels. They are his witnesses. He's been proclaimed among the nations, the story of Christ. He's believed on in the world and in fact, even taken up into glory. The ministry of Christ Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus is mighty and powerful to transform even the worst of men, which Paul claims to be himself. So what do we want from our officers? What do we want from our elders? What do we want from our deacons? Well, what do we want from our church? That's a very simple arrangement, actually. We want a church that is first and foremost occupied with word, sacrament, and prayer. And if we want a church that is preoccupied first and foremost with word, sacrament, and prayer, we do not want to be distracted with secondary things. And if we want our church to be preoccupied with word, sacrament, and prayer, we want our spiritual elders to be leading in word, sacrament, and prayer. We want their job description to be filled with word and with sacrament and with prayer. You want me and the elders spending our time doing this. You want my week to be spent in the Bible and in prayer and preparation for this. And if you want a church that is, according to the Scriptures, word, sacrament, and prayer, that is populated with godly men as elders that are occupied with word, sacrament, and prayer, you desperately need godly deacons to handle all of the physical stuff. Because you don't want me messing with the copier. You don't want my time spent there. You don't want the limited number of hours that Chad has to spend uh, in the ministry of the church to be occupied with the things that the deacons need to be doing. You want all in proper place. Because it's interesting that as these things are fixed in that order, a church that's driven by word and sacrament and prayer, uh, uh, elders that are occupied with word and sacrament and prayer, deacons that are enabling word and sacrament and prayer, what happens at the end of Acts chapter 6? The deacons are installed and immediately the church is blessed. It's inter- that's, that's how the section on deacons ends. That the church grows in spiritual uh, maturity and in numbers. A challenge for you that I would have is for the nomination process to be occupied with those thoughts. This church being captivated word, sacrament, and prayer, elders being occupied with word, sacrament, and prayer, deacons that are enabling word and sacrament and prayer. And so as you get your nomination sheets, which have on the front a line for your name, a list for who you nominate, what office you nominate them for, and on the back, a list of all of the men that are members of this church, communing members. My request and challenge would be that that process be for you to be occupied around, centered around word and sacrament and prayer. Is this the man, when you come to a name, that I want occupied with that or enabling that? Which is he supposed to be? Or is he supposed to be a layman, just like me, helping, taking care, helping run the church? Because as God blesses us through his officers, this church is blessed in her ministry. It's one of the beautiful arrangements that God gives in the relationship between his people and her officers. That as the officers thrive, the ministry given to the people of God is increased in quality. And in quantity, it's good for you. It's better for you. And most of all, it's honoring to the Lord. And we as God's people, as we are joined together around the mystery of the faith of God, the mystery of godliness, that we would be knit into a family with righteous leaders, officers leading the way as Christ is the head of the church and we are his people. May it be as over the next six, seven months as we work through this together, a lot of it behind the scenes in training, Pray that God accomplishes these things in the men that are appointed for office. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for passages like this that give us such clear and practical applications on how we are to be godly together. We thank you for the challenges given to deacons, and we ask that we would understand them and believe them. Give us your help, we pray in Jesus' name. Prepare us for your supper. Amen.